talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Worst Wing, uh, our podcast where we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, uh, from a modern leftist socialist 2020 perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And we're here uh, to bypass the special episode (laughs) of... Complete ghouls. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> that complete real life political ghouls that they pull out of the woodwork to talk about what a such a great show West Wing is because it's getting people interested in politics uh, and and filling them up with the lanyard vision of DC that the Obama boys would then go on to spearhead. Well, and it, it is like sort of the um, the the modern or I guess contemporary equivalent of those Obama boys because you got like. D.D. Myers, who consulted on the right. show, shows up. Who wrote on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, fucking Paul Wolfowitz shows yeah. up, you know, architect of the Iraq War. Fucking... Never forget that Bartlett's dad was played by fucking Lawrence O'Donnell, yep. who is a, a producer and also consultant and sometimes writer on the show. <laughs> and like, so buried... that all of these ghouls are involved in, and that may explain some of the decisions that we go like, why did they make this decision? It's like, Oh, well, we were basing it off something the real-life Clinton White House did? Oh, well, that's why it's so stupid. Well, and again, like, buried eventually down the road. Also, don't watch this fucking episode. The the, the oh, real-life yeah, interview the, the episode is really one, fucking yeah. stupid. Um, it's dumb. And But, like, buried in it, you get, like, Carl Rove and mm-hmm. Henry Kissinger. <laughs> Pretty sure Ollie North's in there at one point, uh, it's too. It's just the worst. Like, real, real shit. Anyway... We're skipping over that, passing over that, Non-canon. <laughs> yeah, it, it is not an episode of The West Wing. It's not <laughs> even like Isaac and Ishmael. It's not even an episode. It's just a documentary. So we're passing over that to the next episode in our list. Uh, God only knows what the episode numbers are at this point because of the skipping and whatever we've done. But this one is entitled Enemies Foreign and Domestic. Uh, and it starts off with someone being on the fucking network printer. <laughs> God and damn it. Car- Carol's trying to print something out important, and someone's on that damn network printer. <laughs> uh, the-, the days when you couldn't print multiple things to the same printer. <laughs> and I just, it's, it's also somewhat timeless because God knows everybody has it, it still fucks up. printer yes. problems to this very day. Yes. Hopefully, work from home is probably alleviating well, a sitting, lot of the here. printer issues and, and cause more home printing issues. <laughs> I'm sitting here. My wife is literally installing her new printer next to <laughs> Yeah, it is somewhat timely. That's why the office joke will will never die, or the office space joke of PC load letter. What the, the fuck, fuck does, does that, that mean? mean? <laughs> will never die. Uh timeless anyway so uh carol wants to print out something on the network printer which is a story that she gives to cj that cj reads and toby and josh who are like having some stupid bickering banter in her office stop bantering and uh look up at cj as they realize this is very serious um and the story is that there was a fire in some school in saudi arabia and a number of female students were died in the fire and were prevented from being rescued by rescue workers because they were not in proper attire. Um, 
Yeah. This, of course, gets CJ quite upset. And this, I make a note here, and this is something that frustrates me, is that now CJ has just sort of turned into the character to, like, remind everyone that women are people, too. And it's kind of, like, she can be so much more than that. Well, and like, it has been... now her role is to get upset when a story like this happens so that we understand that it's bad. And, and has been proven, like, throughout the series that, she, like, Alice and Janney is far and away the most interesting and most talented of the, of the cast. Mains. Of, yep. like, the, of mm-hmm. the main cast. Like, Absolutely. She is perpetually the one that does the things that we react to favorably and also has sort of this... I don't want to say like a floating role, but a, a role in the White House that is... She can be flexible. Exactly. She can, yes. and she's She can not, do a lot as press secretary. Exactly. She's not constrained to the, quote, political realities that, you know, right. the administrative... She's not like Sam and Toby have to be doing something somewhat speech or communications related, you know. I guess Josh is the other most flexible, but he's mostly stuck to legislation and sometimes elections. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, CJ can kind of be anywhere and everywhere, which has given her the ability to... the opportunity to spread her wings sort of as a character and grow and now they're kind of like pigeonholing her into like the cares about women character um and then and we'll see later on that she like they kind of like straw feminist her with like i need to be tough even in the face of death threats (laughs) like well, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into we'll that get a little to, bit later. Like. We'll get to that when we get to that. This is all still in the cold open. This is how obsessed I get with the first two minutes of this show before the credit music starts. And to be fair, like uh, this is a this is a what should be a pivotal political um, moment moment yeah. in the thing. Yeah, and as we'll see shortly, and should be a big story of this episode, and ends up kind of going nowhere. So CJ is full of kind of fire and fury over this situation, as one would expect. Uh, a normal empathetic human to be. She gets to go on the press podium because she was just about to have a briefing when she got this story. She hasn't gone to the president for comment or anything. So all the reporters ask, does the president have a comment? She's like, I haven't gone to the president. I literally just got it. So they ask, CJ, do you have a comment? (laughs) Uh, Which I'm sure is a normal question asked all the Mm -hmm. time. Uh, And not just a tee up for her to give this nice little monologue speech, which I kind of just want to play the clip. It's, it's, It's not bad. This is a country where women are allowed to drive a car. They're not allowed to be in the company of any man other than a close relative. They're required to adhere to a dress code that would make a Mary Knoll nun look like Malibu Barbie. They beheaded 121 people last year for robbery, rape, and drug trafficking. They have no free press, no elected government, no political parties. And the royal family allows the religious police to travel in groups of six carrying nightsticks, and they freely and publicly beat women. But Brutus is an honorable man. 17 schoolgirls were forced to burn alive because they weren't wearing the proper clothing. Am I outraged? No, Steve. No, Chris. No, Mark. That is Saudi Arabia, our partners in peace. And it's good, and it's powerful, and I really wish the episode had, like, built anything off this, and, like, we saw some political consequences for Saudi Arabia, or even just an internal debate between the various diplomatic, you know, forces on our end as to what we wanted to do about Saudi Arabia, but really nothing, <laughs> as our common refrain, nothing happens. Well, and so what always just, we kind of, to be fair, we've now been watching this for two and a half seasons, and we can sort of expect that as as a as a matter of course, nothing substantial will come out of something like this. But this is sort of 
it seems unusual that they devote so much time and the like you know it's the hook of the show the cold open it is leads supposed to into grab the you. intro song yeah like it's like it's this here's our premise for the episode is this saudi arabia thing happened cj's pissed and she made a big controversial statement about it and clearly we're gonna have to deal with the fallout of that and nope uh it, <laughs> it left turns hard into cj gets a death threat because of the speech and now the whole subplot about cj just is how does she deal with the death threat uh and what does the secret service do in response yeah so let's i mean and actually we get nothing about saudi arabia well yeah let's let's i mean we might as well just talk about that yeah let's just roll being, with it because like sure the so what happens is they use this, they use the, the her being incensed and making comments, you know, off the cuff, not representative of the administration, but you can't avoid Correct. it or whatever. Which she clearly identified. Yeah, which she yeah. does her job to, you know, kind of act as a go-between here. But it's like they use it as a way to be like, oh, some people are mad. And so, CJ, your mailbox has been blowing up more than usual. Right. And we identify I- this thing. And you are you are literally, as you are watching, you're primed for it to be like, Oh, cool. So, like, now we're going to have, you know, some political fallout from Saudi Arabia or whatever. Right. Based on her comments and how she deals with this issue. But, nope. And they, (laughs) they kind of flow through and they're just like, this one isn't Saudi Arabia. Like, they deliberate, they blatantly say it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, they're, they're like, no, no, the problem is you attracted a local homegrown crank, uh, and so now we can focus entirely on that and forget about the country that we don't want to talk about, <laughs> because it would be politically bad. And this is why we invented fictional countries like Equicor, Equicor, damn it, Equatorial Kundu, or yeah. whatever the hell. The fi- <laughs> you know, the fictional country they made up that they get to fictionally fuck up as much as they want with no actual real-life repercussions and actual real-life Saudi people writing angry letters to Aaron Sorkin and the rest of swing writers. Which, in a way, is like, I'm at, I just have this vision of, like, Aaron Sorkin writing and recording this in real time. Oh, it's a terrible strain on the writer's wrist. Um, <laughs> but, like, he's doing it in real time, and he gets through this cold open, and he's like, Oh fuck! What do I? What? Oh shit! I fucked it up. What am I gonna do? <laughs> right. This this seems like this needs uh, consequences. Like I need to backpedal uh, as quickly uh, as possible. <laughs> so yes, but then uh, she she gets a death threat email, <laughs> and so and then so Simon Donovan who um or sorry Ron Butterman first shows yeah. up. We get we get Ron, we get Secret Service man Ron Butterman who is always a treat, uh, with his very serious uh you know serious like demeanor his operator demeanor comes through uh, uh biz, oh, you know just the facts business business first kind of thing uh he goes to her laptop and starts doing secret yeah. <laughs> Hugh Jackman hacking moves yeah. with with trace routes and shit to uh to fucking to try to figure out where the death threat email came from uh, and and quickly realizes, uh oh, the server and the IP don't match. This means he tried to mask where he was sending the email Ooh. from, <laughs> aka he used Proton Mail or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And then he makes the startling de- declaration, "I'm gonna need your hard drive." <laughs> and it's like, why? That's not where the emails live. <laughs> yeah. The files, they're in the computer. It's so they're simple. In the computer. Ron Barman just holding the laptop. <laughs> Over his, over his head, head and sm- <laughs> smashing it on the ground. But where are the emails? 
man. They're on your server, dumbass. You can go find them there. You don't need her hard drive. Well, but anyway. Yeah, and so you get this opportunity to turn this into a strictly dramatic device. rather mm-hmm. than It divorces all politics because now it's about CJ. Right, her safety. Her and, safety. And so yeah. we get the introduction of a new character. Do, 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 do. A little mini uh, guest starring arc for uh, Mark Harmon as is the role of Secret Service man Simon Donovan, who, and I like this, he introduces himself as, I'm from the Treasury Department. Yeah. <laughs> um, because back then, the Secret Service was under the Treasury Department until 2003, when they switched to being under Homeland Security. Yep. Um, so, I, I kind of like that. I like that. That's a good, like, what part, and she encounters with what part of the Treasury Department? He's like, Secret Service. <laughs> Yeah, um, if anybody, and I'm obligated to offer this up on behalf of my wife, if anybody wants to read a book about that phenomenon, you can read Stealing Lincoln's Body. It is about hmm. why the Secret Service was first constituted and then rolled up under Treasury. Isn't it because they mostly dealt with uh, counterfeit? Exactly. Is why they're under Treasury? Yep. Yeah, and that's what I thought. There's all, the, there's all this neat shit that went on that's just like, oh... Well, you know, the amount of grifting back in the 1860s was just really insane. You think we got oh, grifters back, these days? Back when you could just print money yeah, and just no one make really like up. check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he comes in and the what I mean, basically what we're kind of wrapping around to here is that the ostensibly interesting political conflict of Saudi uh-huh. Arabia being kind of at the forefront of your press secretary's mind as a bad thing here is all just sublimated to, oh, Mark Harmon, he's so dreamy. And, <laughs> right, and now they get to have a bodyguard-esque uh, romance yeah. plot. <laughs> and, and frankly, God, he comes out fucking, like, the first couple things he says to her is like, um, yeah, we make sure to maintain a respectful distance, but I wouldn't mind if I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, they have him on maximum flirt mode right away. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like, no, like, build up to it, dude. Yeah, there's no acceleration here. It's just 100% yeah. immediately. He's, he's on full Mark Harmon charm from the get-go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be fair, it's a powerful force. Well, I... I <laughs> uh, as, we'll, as we'll see over the next few episodes as their little arc continues. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is that is a bridge we will cross when we come to it. So that mostly wraps up the CJ uh, plot. We'll, uh, any other thoughts before we get into the other plots? Yep, I think we're good. I mean, just kind of the... Again, it... it just veers off immediately and it's like oh well. disappointing because okay. it's actually a really interesting hook and i would like us to see where that goes and to talk about like so how some of these countries treat women and you know do we have the right to dictate to them and like that's a whole interesting conversation the show could have that it just completely sidetracked away yep. from okay so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the other characters uh plots throughout this episode
All right, and we're back. Uh, let's talk about Sam. So Sam's task this episode is to meet with some Russian diplomats and work out the details of uh, the president's upcoming trip to Russia. Uh, and this is the real sort of like brass tacks kind of, you know, literally working out the details of, okay, well, at three o'clock, we're going to go to the Hall of Flags. At four o'clock, we go to a dinner where the president will wear a coat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at first, it just looks like it's going to be used for light comedy um, with like, haha, aren't Russian accents kind of funny and charming? And look, they have some translation issues with idioms yeah. <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. And, like, it looks like it's just sort of this West Wing-esque comedy scene of, like, haha, isn't language... Well, yeah, you wrote it as, like, one? this is an SNL sketch, basically. Like Right, yeah, like, this is a smart man's SNL sketch, whereas the, the SNL sketch version would just be, haha, I am, how you say, Russian I guy, am bad man, Russian. <laughs> so, like, to be fair, they're given more subtlety than yes. that, and they're actual real people. Um... But then, so throughout the, uh, you know, it's very charming, and then they kind of form a nice relationship, Sam and these two Russian um, ambassadors, assistants, I'm not sure what their official Doesn't position really is. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Anyway, they, they, they hash out all the details for the president's meeting, having a little back and forth, and here and there. Uh, and then at the very end, one of the guys says, we have some language we want to add to the big joint speech they're going to give at the end of this big trip. And Sam's like, no, 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 we can't add language to speeches. That's all cleared with state and shit like that. He's like, listen, just just read the language, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, the, and the Russian guy gives him the note. Or, or no, actually reads out the note first, yeah. and it's, uh, uh, you know, in this time, we wish to end the nuclear proliferation. Why do our countries, you know, still have the ability to destroy each other a thousand times over? Surely once is enough. Uh, and Sam quickly, to his credit, at least realizes that these two guys with the bad translation issue and the lack of idioms could not have written that particular phrase uh, and realizes it must be coming from someone higher up, and the only person really higher up to them is the Russian president. Yep. Um, so he stumbles into the Oval Office where the president, in where we'll talk about when we get to the president's bit, is currently meeting with like every Joint Chief and a bunch of the you know big leaders and whatnot over um, uh, unrelated issue. He, Sam comes stumbling in as soon as he gets this note delivers, you know, hey, I don't think these two diplomats wrote this note. I think the Russian president wrote it. Uh, and he, the Russian president wants to disarm, but he can't get this message to you any other way because of the Russian government not wanting to disarm. Yeah. Uh, and so, and Fitz is excited and the president's excited and they're like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna put disarmament on the table for these talks and, and, and the day is Yeah, it's just a good, it's a good, like, it's a good little concise bit. little bit yeah. of back channeling in in a in a way that's charming when it's presented because the Russian and right the Russian and guys you brought are up great. a good point. This is in theory what the whole show should be. Yes, stuff like this stuff. How how is the sausage made on the political level? What are the actual tricks and tools that get used at these levels to make things like this like diplomacy happen? And this is a great example of that kind of yeah. thing. And, like, if the show was nothing but this, the show would be fantastic. Well, yeah. And like, uh, could, if the show was nothing but this kind of stuff. You could have the administration, because everybody can walk around and say, like, 
today we did a bill and it's a, it's kind of like an extended right. you know schoolhouse rock theory right. like we I know don't how give a bill a shit gets about made. that like yeah we know yeah. what what's up with that this is great we know tr- trades get made and deals get made to get people to vote the way you want but this is something that we didn't you know or if you were aware of it you probably already worked in this kind of like field anyway but if you're just your average joe and you realize like oh okay this is how like diplomacy has to happen at these kind of levels when you're dealing with such you know, governments and intrigue and, and people you don't want to get the message and, and stuff like that. And that's cool and clever, and I wish the show did more well, of it. And, and Sam, I, I wrote this down, that like this would be incredible. This would all be charming if Sam wasn't such an asshole because he, go, he cramers into this meeting and is like, oh, well, clearly all the things that I want are correct. And the things that you want, we'll, we'll think about them, but probably we're still going to be correct. And it gradually, right. the show doesn't make it explicit, but it sort of gradually dawns on him that he's he's just one of the two parties at this table. And he goes and he's like, right. oh, actually, these guys are doing important things goodly. <laughs> right. And uh, meanwhile, I've been focusing on like making sure that the president doesn't have to wear earmuffs. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, they all of all of this has just been foreplay for the actual moment of delivering this letter. Yeah, absolutely. Of delivering the the language and making sure the president gets to hear I it. Just, so th- those two guys got their job done a lot better than Sam got his done. I just basically. love, love, love that the Russian guy says the word onomatopoetically. <laughs> yeah, as as Sam says, you gotta love a guy who doesn't understand the word from you but knows onomatopoetically. <laughs> Which is, uh, frankly, I think, good job, Aaron Sorkin. That's a very ESL yeah. thing to be like. I technically am aware of this phenomenon, but I, I because it's my second I just language, don't have I the don't word. have the command of it to do it. <laughs> so yeah, so that was really good. And um, but the flip side of the Russian thing is that there's another thing that Toby gets wrangled <laughs> into, which is just dumb as hell. Yeah. So okay. So Toby starts off intentionally with. The writers kind of giving themselves like a freebie by just saying like, "Oh, Toby's bored," uh, so they they have Toby come up and he's like, "I have all my work done for the day," which a seems impossible on this show, <laughs> given how much they love to talk about how hard they have to fucking work about everything, and then b doesn't last for long because CJ's like, "Okay, you want something to do? I'll give you something to do. We're trying to credential some new press people. Um, can you interview this one? She's from a Russian newspaper. Okay, go nuts." Now you have work. And so Toby goes, okay, and snaps to it. He interviews the girl who's a Russian lady who, and I guess Toby's thing now is just charmed by every lady because (laughs) this is not far away from the Poet Laureate episode. And like in that one, it was a lot better because it came out of nowhere. But now that it's like back to back, (laughs) now it's just becoming a character trait that Toby's a bit of like a hornball essentially. (laughs) And it's, I don't know, and I don't know if it's cynical or just kind of earnest because it always seems like this is the excuse that they give to have him behave in these shitty fashions. She's like, "Oh, he's just—I guess—he's just attracted to and loves these women." Like, right, and and as he says, I'm having a weird day at one point, so that allows you to make the character do whatever you want out of character. Yeah, no consistency, like you said, episode to episode. It's fine. Just say this isn't like me normally every single time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so 
So he starts interviewing this woman, and at first he's very kind of flirty and friendly with her, and he's like, hey, you know, apparently the Russian government's giving you a hard time just because you criticize them? Well, that's bullshit, because that's the whole point of the First Amendment. We should be able to have press criticize our government all the time. Isn't that great? And he kind of gives Such a Such an thing outrage about, that Russia doesn't allow this, and blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. And so at first, and she's like, okay, great, so you're going to get me credentialed and everything. That rules. Um, I'm not down for your flirting or whatever, but you seem like a nice man who's going to get, get my job yeah. done. Help me out. And then, so then he starts to investigate her paper more, um, because some dude comes in who's like really against it. I don't know, I don't who, know the who the dude, dude is. is. It doesn't really matter. It basically just Whatever. serves A to... dude comes in, and I don't understand how this dude has rank or influence over Toby, but apparently he does, and he says, like, well, it'll be a problem if you credential this reporter lady because the paper she comes from is bad, actually. And so Toby starts investigating the paper uh, and realizes it's basically like the Russian equivalent of the National Enquirer, I mm -hmm. guess, or it's like a tabloid or something like that. It's kind of a shitty paper. Uh, and so, <laughs> apparently, in Toby's mind, the reason that the Russian government hates this paper isn't because they criticize the Russian government, it's because they're a poor paper. A poor quality yeah. paper. Well, and, and it just devolves, because Toby goes on this thing, he's just like, it, it's a quintessentially Democratic Party thing, where, oh yeah, you know, First Amendment is absolutely, uh, you know, essential to democracy, but your use of it is just is bad. Is bad. <laughs> right. And earlier he was defending the National Enquirer as like, I have to make sure the National Enquirer can write whatever it wants so that, that the New York Times can write whatever yeah. it wants. Which is, by the way, hilarious <laughs> because, you know, yeah, the New York Times clearly on the uh, bold edge of writing truth and not <clears throat> and offending power. Yeah, and it's... I mean, and I say it's Democratic Party. Frankly, it's it's all political parties in this stupid it's country. A, it's like, establishment. Yeah, yeah. You, you, as it's very your your speech power, is okay as long as it doesn't challenge the power structure. Power and the media have a nice, healthy little relationship right now, where they trade access for you know media not going too far over the line on anything, oh. uh, and it will remain that way as long as power likes it that way. Pretty much, and this is like a quit. This is a perfect example of it. Toby's just like, nope. Yep. Um, I'm cutting off your access because you offend me personally. Well, and, and I am the arbiter of these decisions because I have the power. So Right. Even though, by the way, Toby was not interested in doing this job before yeah. the episode started <laughs> and was just bored. But has now quickly turned around to uh, to making this a very important moral and stand of his. For, for actually some a little bit of historical context, at this point in United States-Russia relations, things were actually pretty good. Because relatively because the, yeah. the power, quote unquote, that we're referring to now had been allowed to, frankly, ransack the post-Soviet Union status Correct. of the Russian Federation at this point. And so, frankly, everybody was pretty much on the same page following like the Clinton administration. So this is right. not really mappable to the current Russia hysteria no. <laughs> that is, that no. is sweeping. Yeah, this, this is very. What's it's funny because it's not it's not Russia Gatey at all, and so and it's, so he has to find a new inventive angle to to actually you know. Oh. he actually has to discredit her by 
you know, with proof of things that are actually discrediting and not just go, Russia! Russia, Russia, Russia! I think if somebody somebody watches this show for the first time in, in 2020 and they're, I don't know, 22 years old, they will probably be somewhat disconcerted by this because they have no perspective that he met with a Ru- that he met with a russian yeah, that it's like oh there was a time when our countries were hunky-dory and we're we're actually fine yeah. <laughs> and we didn't paint them as the evil enemy to everything yeah. don't worry we're quickly shifting yeah. that to china <laughs> now worry. so it's fine we'll find a new uh, national it's hate fine. eventually so you know we're 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 working on that <laughs> and, you know china's a much easier and bigger one anyway so that's an easier one to paint as an enemy uh, for sure. So, yeah, that mostly covers the Sam and Toby plots. Any other remaining thoughts? I don't think so. Um, let's move along to the last little bit here, which is the the, the com- weird computer side <laughs> plot and also yeah. token black person. Yeah, we living in hell. It's all going to hell. It's all going to hell. Yeah, we living in hell. Word. Every Sunday dressing up, catching gossip at its worst. Couldn't see the difference in the Baptist and the Catholic Church. Caught up in the rapture of the first chapter and second verse. And we all God's children, it was the word of the Reverend Worth. Too early, the faith is blind, like justice when you face a time. If we all made in God's image, that means his face is mine. Waiter is that blasphemy, is logical, it has to be. If I don't look like my father, then the way I live is bastardly. Naturally, that's confusion to a young and trying to follow Christ. Taught that if you don't know Jesus, then you lead a hollow life. Never question the fact that Jesus was Jewish, not a Christian, nor that Christianity was law according to politicians. Who was King James? Alright, so, so there's sort of a, a convoluted path to get to the, the next topic. We're basically, given that the Russian, uh, the state visit to the Russian Federation is, is happening, there, some satellite imagery comes in that suggests that the country of Iran is building a nuclear reactor for the purposes of enriching uranium, which Plutonium. is... Well, enriching uranium, which... Oh, makes it plutonium? Down, down, well, yes, sort of. Down the road, eventually, will result in nuclear material, or nuclear weaponry. They build the bomb. (laughs) Well, and they actually, they take great pains to contrast the fact that, like, if it's a light water reactor, it is exclusively for the production of For energy, right. Yeah. Whereas if it's a heavy water reactor, which they eventually figure out it is, it's for creating, you know, weapons-grade nuclear material. So... Down the road, you know, they're talking about, and of course, this has got like even 20 years ago. Any day now, Iran yeah, will have with, a nuclear weapon. Well, Iran will have the bomb any day yep. now. We've any been hearing now. it for literally decades. <laughs> Thanks, Mike Ramirez. Yeah. Um, so that's when Sam Kramer's into the overall Oval Office, like, oh my God, the Russian Federation is sending us a back channel message. You got to listen. And so right. they are reassured that the Russians are not helping the Iranians with this project. Right, since their goal is nuclear lack of proliferation, de-escalation. The other other thing that has been going in and out of the Oval Office, there's two things. We'll touch on both of them briefly. There is a, and I've been racking my brain trying to figure out the historical analog of this problem. Leo comes in early and tells the president that there is a, computer chip manufacturer that is issuing a recall for and i think he says it out loud he says every single one of their their chips right he's like 350 million processors are affected by this problem and their conflict becomes does the government bail them out basically because this will end them as a company 
Yes. And, you know, have all these knock-on effects down the supply chain, whatever. Right, of losing havoc. good tech jobs and, and yeah. all that. Kind and of all thing. that stuff. And the conflict is that the lobbyist for them, uh, this I can't remember his name is, they refer to him by his first name a couple times. It doesn't matter. The lobbyist for them was a large No, the owner, the owner of the company. And, well, yes, and by <laughs> therefore by Chinese wall, the yeah. company is... A large campaign contributor, so right. So this is just quintessential quid like, pro quo. <laughs> yeah, and it's and Josh basically says he he says out loud he says welcome to free markets the hard way and but then Leo's just like we must save this company from the free markets right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which, look out even even Bartlett says like okay so you know they'll go under that's what's supposed to happen in a healthy economy businesses grow then they fail. <laughs> But by virtue of this guy's influence on the campaign, even though Bartlett is complaining about the sort of blatant campaign contributions for favors yes. thing, they eventually come down to being like, okay, we're going to help you out. And right. Just the whole time, it's social, but, socialism for me, austerity for thee. Right. But in the in the true West Wing way, they don't help them out by doing the original bailout. Uh, Bartlett helps them out by keeping all the government contracts of their computers Oh uh, yeah, so they'll, they'll continue to, continue. to buy. They yeah. will continue to buy uh, once they fix the chip problem and do the recall and everything. Um, but then also he says you have to stop contributing to the <laughs> to the party um, because it makes me feel dirty. Well, now now that I have your millions of dollars, you you got to stop giving them. To right? Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny. How it, that it's works. okay. The timing works out funnily enough. Um, and again, I can't figure out. I swear to God, I, I don't was... think it is an analog. I don't remember any computer chip problems around that time. It could be just sort of an analog in general for the dot com boom. In yes. general, and bust in general, which was probably rolling around this time, um, but I don't think they're picking unlike like our tire, uh, tu- sorry, tunnel fire, um, just yes. a couple episodes back where they were drawing on very recent and real history. I don't think they're picking a specific thing here. Yeah, I just have a nagging thing in the back of my brain because I know there was something, but it could have been I could have been fucking thinking of Enron. I th- there's software something. related things, I'm sure, but I can't remember anything with physical CPU chips. Yeah. But I I'm, I might be wrong, and maybe a, a clever yeah. listener will recall and uh, let us know. Uh, but then the main other thing going on around the Oval Office and the president is a subplot with Charlie where he gets a weird letter. Uh, and as Charlie says, he gets thousands of weird letters a day. Yeah. But this one, <laughs> this one sticks out in particular because appar- apparently every president has a five-digit code they can give out to friends, family, or certain people that they want to make sure that their mail gets through the normal screening process and gets delivered straight to the president. And this letter had one of those five-digit codes on it. Yeah, and so they do some, like, investigating or whatever, and I don't really care, and they don't care to put a lot of thought into this, but there is a... I I just want to get into, like, they do this sort of, like, fucking back and forth with, like, oh, but the president didn't have a budget speech in Pittsburgh when this kid would have been, like, four, because they think it's coming from a nine-year-old kid. Like, there's this stupid thing where they think it's coming from a kid who's currently nine years old, and it turns out the guy is, like, you know, 89 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Because it's actually, uh, the letter is talking about seeing FDR's speech back in the day. Yeah, and also, like, 
So there is a just a god awful hacky scene in the middle of this episode where yeah. Toby comes into the Oval Office to talk to the president about something, brings up a trivia tidbit off screen because the camera is focused on Charlie walking in and out uh-huh. of the Oval Office and panning around his head where he has a light bulb moment. He gets the Eureka moment. Yep. Overhearing Toby mention this piece of trivia somehow and is some of the worst goddamn film that it's Aaron real, Sorkin has it's ever created. It's real bad because like the president and Toby who should be the focus of the scene are just off in like yeah. the left third of the screen out of focus and meanwhile Charlie is taking up all of frame so he can have his little eureka moment when when Toby utters the trivia tidbit. It's so yeah. bad. It's, it's very it's blatant. real bad. And then It's very blatant. House the, was the, never this blatant. House had a eureka <laughs> moment every fucking episode. The, the eventual and the eventual like result of this is that they figure out that this letter was sent by the kid who saw FDR and what ho it just happens to be a black man and his dad right and I <laughs> and then they have this so they they bring him to the White House with his son who his grown son who is now a doctor. Uh, and they get to have a photograph with the president and a nice meet and greet. It's all very heartwarming or whatever. But it's the per- the greater per- narrative purpose of it clearly just seems to be that, oh, we haven't had Charlie really, like, interact with, like, an older black man in a while. Like, he has, you know. So, and this, guy, and this guy's black, and so Charlie has to be the point of contact. Like, it feels very weird. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's blatant about it yeah it's really blatant and like charlie ends up with this project and oh and then like especially the guy wanting to take a photo with charlie at the end (laughs) like okay i get that charlie helped facilitate the whole thing and like you're trying to like be nice to the kid it just it feels weird yeah and exploitative as always as most things with charlie right like to be well it's it's funny with charlie because the show actually brought attention to the fact that like they don't have any black people in the main, in the main cast. And <laughs> yeah. so and so they literally were like, okay, well, we need to hire one. And so they put his hiring on screen and they bring up all these issues on screen. And they have Fitz waving away with like, ah, it's fine. I work for the president. <laughs> and like, yeah, but you're the joint chief. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and actually, like, you spent your entire career getting shit on. Yeah. putting up with it to get <laughs> yeah. to this point. And having to deal with institutional racism and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I don't know. It all ends up being for nothing, and it's just a sweet little saccharine moment, and we're probably ripping it too hard, all things considered, but it's also just really weird and blatant and has no real need other than just, like, like <laughs> Toby, to they're have... just sort of, we gotta fill time, and Dulé Hill hasn't been in two episodes now, and his contract says he's up for one. <laughs> Well, and also <laughs> the confirmation that Emma tells me that apparently the president does have a real, yeah, a again, real a special neat, a neat tidbit to mail learn. code. Uh, but I would have preferred something more like the Sam plotline where we got to learn a whole different aspect of, of government and not just the presidential mail code, which is a neat little trivia fact, but uh, not that in-depth, <laughs> really. Uh, I also missed that the uh, Bartlett could have made it a comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, just like, so... So the reason, yeah, so the reason Bartlett gets the letter is that the the kid put FDR's code on it, and Bartlett 
copied FDR's code, so it got through to Bartlett. Uh, and yeah, it's so the it's it's the five digit code. It's one, 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 two, 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 three, three, four, 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 five, five, five. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. <laughs> uh, uh, as Bartlett says, he wasn't stealing it. It was an homage. It's an homage. That's what all great plagiarists yes. say. As the you know, good writers steal, steal. Great writers steal uh, boldly, or yes. or whatever it is, entirely, whatever the phrase is. But anyway, uh, I think that mostly wraps up the, uh, yeah. our thoughts on the various plots of this episode. Yeah, uh, any so any let's, last? Uh, <laughs> take a brief break and wrap up. Okay. that does it for another fun episode of the worst wing as episodes go this one was at least interesting and while i might have had problems with certain character subplots it, it avoided the cardinal sin of television uh boring yes. so it was not boring yeah and i think the so credit where credit's due bringing simon donovan in leads to one of uh, one of the better dramatic arcs of i'll the say series. yeah so it's not it's not bad, you know. Uh, his, Mark uh, Harmon and Allison Janney have very good uh, actor chemistry, uh, as well as you know being able to do, you know, ramp up the romance end of things while still seeing seeming very uh, plausible, as it were. So yeah, overall, I would say this episode was like you know, pretty good, like six or seven out of ten, all told. You know, not boring. Um, and that's really the main sin that we really try to avoid <laughs> on this rewatch. Um, while we wait for those episodes that I really, really want to dig into, which more are coming. Uh, so I think coming up is more election stuff. Um, maybe not in the near future, but I know the election is coming soon. Uh, and yeah, so that'll be interesting to look forward to. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Uh, we always appreciate uh, your listens, your thoughts, your feedback. Uh, you can feel free to drop us a comment in one of our threads. Um, you can also feel free to email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. And we will be back uh, next time to discuss another episode of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye. Bye. money you ask for. But don't ask me to come on along